Hello, and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people who have overcome real challenges and are making our world better because of it. They have taken life's lemons and are making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Cause. Welcome back to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I am so excited to talk to you again because apparently you're Santa and we've got to hear this story. This is a lemons to lemonade story. So you've got to get me up to date of how this all has come about. Well, Heidi, it's so good to be back with you on Heidi's Lemonade Stand. And, you know, you would think that you would learn from life's lessons that once you have a dramatic, you know, lemon to lemonade story, you wouldn't need two. But this one actually goes back prior to the one that we shared on the the previous podcast episode that I was on with you. And uh, this one should have kicked my butt and taught me all those important lessons. But you know what? We go through the refiner's fire and God customizes our curriculum. And so it's hard to say, well, woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? So let me take you back. It's 1999. Okay. And I'll paraphrase the story because your listeners can read the whole story in my new book, Through Santa's Eyes, Be Less Selfish, Be More Elfish. And you can go to ThroughSantasEyes.com, download a preview of the book, absolutely free. But anyway, so it's 1999 and I had everything. I had the most amazing, beautiful, smart, talented wife. I had two beautiful children. Megan was five and Ben was about a year and a half. And I thought everything was going great. But like some men, we don't really pay attention to how our spouse is feeling in the situation. And I uh, got a little selfish is probably the best way to say it. And just said some stupid things. And our our words matter. And how they're received is different than how we send them out. And so Lisa, my beautiful wife, she was was offended or and and hurt. And and I didn't make everything right. And so I was entertaining in downtown Salt Lake City. I get home one night. This is November of 1999. And I open up the garage and drive in and and, and we had a beautiful new house, beautiful neighborhood, great neighbors. Everything was perfect. And and uh, when I pulled into the driveway, I knew something was wrong because Lisa's car wasn't in the garage. And it was like 9 o'clock at night. And certainly the kids would already be, in, be asleep in bed. And when I walked up the back steps and opened up the back door from the garage, I knew something was wrong. I just felt it. And as I rounded the corner from the garage and stepped into the kitchen, the only light that was on was the large fluorescent light over the the island in the kitchen. And I noticed some things were gone. And then it struck me. Lisa had left and taken Megan and Ben with her. No note, nothing. And I remember I staggered over to the large green leather couch and plopped down and stared at the big black TV in front of me that was turned off and I could see my reflection. And they say when you die, that your whole life passes before you. So I guess I had one of those little mini death experiences because then my life was replayed and all the woulda, coulda, shouldas went by. And I thought, look, I had everything. And in this moment, I lost everything. I I didn't know if I would get my family back. And so I... Went through my own dark night of the soul at that time. And 
I won't go into all the details of just how deep it is to go there, to have everything, and then in a moment, absolutely lose it and realize that it's all your fault, that you are 100% responsible. Now, it takes two people to tango. I get that. But I could have done better. So I had to adjust to the whole process of Wednesday nights and every other weekends right away. And that was just a horrible thought to just think that I was going to be one of those dads that takes their kids to Denny's for Thanksgiving just made me physically sick. That's not what I signed up for. That's not the kind of person that I am. I try to be happy and loving and kind and service oriented. And here I blew the biggest opportunity that I had because my greatest mission in life and still is today is to be the best father and husband that I could be. At that moment, being the best husband was off the table. And I had to just focus on being the best dad that I could be. So I had a unique experience one of three experiences in my life where I had one of those field of dreams moments. You've seen the movie field of dreams, right? Heidi. Yeah. When Kevin Costner, hears the voice. Yeah. Now I've heard the voice three distinct times in my life to do something remarkable, remarkably unique, not of my own volition. I mean, I wouldn't conjure up these things, but as a professional entertainer, since the age of 13, this made sense when I, was given the prompting to be Santa Claus. And I thought, this is probably the worst time in my life that I would do this, right? I'm in the depths of despair. I, I'm not in a good place. How am I going to go out and be Mr. Holly Jolly Christmas? But I also knew what it's like to assume the role of a character. And, and uh, I figured, well, maybe this is God's way of getting me through this. So I had two options at that point be totally covert about Santa Claus with Megan and Ben, again, five and one, or be totally overt and do it in plain sight and make them a part of it. So I chose to do the latter. So I still remember it was a Saturday morning and the morning cartoons were playing in the background and Megan's at the, the counter in the kitchen coloring in a new coloring book. I just got her and Ben is down at my feet playing and I'm uh, making cookies, chocolate chip cookies, because my mom was a master baker. And nothing says love to me like baking. And so that's the one thing I did inherit from my mom is I'm a good baker. I don't do it enough. Dang it. I don't do it enough. I should bake more. Always. But then I, I said to Megan, I said, hey, Megan, uh, will you run into my bedroom and get my watch off the nightstand? So she jumps off the bar stool and bounds down the, the hallway towards the bedrooms. And from the other side of the house, I hear this yelp. And the, just a couple of seconds later, Megan comes running down the hall and she's like, daddy, daddy, you got to come to your room. Hurry. You got to come to your room. And I was like, ah, this is exactly how it played out. Cause this was the scene. And I said, what is it? And she said, daddy, daddy, come, come, come to your room. And I said, well, hold on. I got to get Ben. So I scooped up Ben and we headed down the hallway. And as I got to the doorway of the bedroom of my, the master bedroom, my bedroom, Megan's standing there with eyes as big as the moon. And she just says, daddy, daddy, look, look on your bed. Santa's been here. 
I said, what? Why would Santa Claus be coming to our house? It's, it, it's not even Thanksgiving. What? what? And so laying on the bed is Santa's suit and all of his gear. Boots are by the bed. And the bag is strewn over the bed and the beard and the hat and the glasses. And a big, beautiful envelope. Looked like it was handmade, just gold and elaborate. It was beautiful. So Megan jumps up on the bed and she retrieves the envelope and sits down and crosses her legs. And I said, now, why would Santa be sending us a letter? We're, we're the ones that send him letters. What, what's going on? Why did he send us a letter? And Megan looks up at me like, uh, dad, it's not for you. This letter is addressed to Megan and Ben. And it was beautiful. It was gold foil. And when you turned it over, it had one of those wax seals with a big SC that, that kept it closed. And I said, well, read it, Megan. And she was paralyzed. She didn't know what to do. There's a letter from Santa Claus. So she carefully opens it up and, and she reads the letter and it says, Dear Megan and Ben, there are more children on earth than ever before. And I'm getting older and, and I need help. So I'm calling your daddy to be one of my special helpers. You might even have to help me on Christmas Eve. I need your permission for your daddy to help me. I love you. Merry Christmas, Santa Claus. Megan looked at me, Daddy, Daddy, Santa needs your help. And I was like, oh, I don't know. What do you think, Megs? Do you think I can help Santa? And Megan's like, Daddy, you, you just got to help Santa. And I said, well, he wants you to say it's okay, so let's go to your room and write Santa a letter, and I'll make sure he gets it tomorrow. So I scooped Ben back up and went into Megan's room, and she sat down and... I mean, she's such a smart little girl when she was five. I mean, she's grown up to be the most amazing, beautiful woman today. And even at five, she was just so smart and so sharp. And she sat down and she wrote Santa a letter that said, basically, uh, Ben and I say, yes, my daddy will help you. <laughs> Love, Megan and Ben. And I said, well, why don't you make an envelope so that we can send that to Santa? And so she made an envelope and. It was a special experience, and I go into more detail in the book. But then I turned and I walked into my room, and I hadn't even seen it. Now, this part of the story is fictitious, um, but I felt that it was important to, to have some, some lessons in there. And, and the book was going to just start with that experience right there of Daddy, Daddy, uh, you got a letter. We got a letter from Santa. But I felt in the book that I needed to to add an element to it. So chapter two in the book is fictitious, but if you will, it's, it's the Santa of today. This will be my 24th year being a professional Santa talking to the rookie Santa of 1999. So I walk into the room and I had not noticed it before, but there was another envelope and two presents on the nightstand. And being the kind of person that I am, I, <laughs> I couldn't wait to open the presents. I uh, wasn't going to read the letter first, so I attacked the presents. I'm one of those guys that is a kid. I opened all my presents up before my parents got up in the morning on Christmas Day and knew exactly what everything is and wrapped it back up and put it back under the tree. I was never surprised. I always knew what I got. So I went to the presents. And again, these presents are beautifully wrapped in gold foil wrapping paper with scenes from the North Pole. I carefully opened the first one. 
and I opened up, I opened up the gift and I pulled out a tuning fork. It was a tuning fork. Now I, I'm not a musician, so I don't know what tuning forks really are. I was in band in sixth grade, so I'd seen them used to tune a piano, but why was Santa giving me a tuning fork? I thought, well, that's pretty odd. And I noticed down on the handle, right above the handle where the fork opens up, it just had three numbers, five, two, eight. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's a serial number or something. I don't know what that means. I'd have to check that out. So then I opened up the next present and it was the most beautiful phone I had ever seen. And it had technology not known to us as humans in the consumer market. I mean, this was from the North Pole. And so I powered it up and and it started playing jingle bells and it had a scene from the North Pole with one big app in the middle of the screen that just said SC. And I figured, oh my goodness, this is direct communication with Santa Claus. So I sat it down and then I opened up I opened up the letter from Santa. Now, this wasn't a simple little letter from Santa. It was uh, it was actually pretty intense and pretty in-depth. And uh, I'll just share with you uh, a couple of the lines from the letter. But it's uh, it's from the 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 chapter B in tune when Santa pretty much in a loving way, like a loving friend or father figure would, he chastised me pretty good. And he says, dear cause, I've been watching you and I'm aware of your pain and anguish. And I'd like to say, I feel bad for you. However, your current troubles are your own doing. I continue from the book for a little bit. I tried to swallow the lump in my throat that was growing with each word I read, then continued. You, my friend are out of tune. Hmm. Tuning for it makes sense to me. I thought you're in dissonance from the power within your soul. I've given you a tuning fork and challenge you to discover what its frequency means. I didn't have a clue what Santa was saying. What did he mean? I was out of tune. How was I in dissonance? He continued, you're a good man, a special soul. You have amazing, unique gifts and talents, a combination of which not many possess, but you have lost sight of what is most important in your life. And you failed to be a good steward of what you've been given and blessed with. You've achieved many successes in your professional life, but as the English Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli once wrote, no success in public life can compensate for failure in the home. I looked away. Ouch, I thought. That is bold. Who does th Santa think he is talking to me like this? I wanted to stop reading, but I, I couldn't. He was right and the truth hurt. He continued, your greatest desire in life has been to have a family filled with laughter and love. We've lost that for now. Don't make excuses. Excuses don't change performance. And he goes on to tell me that he's concerned what's happening in the world today, that too many people have lost the true spirit of Christmas. He says, all I hear is children wanting iPhones and iPads, I this and I that. Everything is I, I, I. That's not what Christmas is all about. The Christmas spirit is not about what you can get, but what you can give. A bell is no bell until you ring it. A song is no song until you sing it. And love in your heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love until you give it away. We have become a selfish people thinking only of ourselves. And, well, that won't end well. So he goes on to give me a, a message to share with the world. 
He says, the real gifts of Christmas are shared from the heart and given with love. Be courageous and bold. Share this magical message with the world. Be less selfish. Be more elfish. All of us at the North Pole are the happiest people on the planet because that's the way we live every day. We are elfish. It's the standard. Can you imagine the world we would live in if we lived the spirit of Christmas all year round? The world would be a different place indeed. Think about how the spirit of Christmas feels. Think, think how folks strive to be more kind, more loving, more charitable. Consider that magical spirit living on if we could live that way every day. I'm calling you to start a movement to find those who will accept the challenge to be different, to live life striving to be more elfish. So I got a call. I get the call from Santa Claus. And in the book, I go through the process of becoming Santa Claus because he tells me in the letter, it's not about just wearing the gear, that it comes from inside, that it's being in harmony with that tuning fork of 528. So I learn how to become Santa. I ultimately learn what 528 means. And because of my background in professional entertainment, I sat down and came up with a plan. And right away, I had lots of Santa appearances. And uh, that first year I did Santa, I had over 60 events that I entertained for. And in the book, I go through nine specific miracles and stories that I personally witnessed through Santa's eyes. Let me tell you, can I tell you a couple just briefly and you can learn more about them in the book? I would love that. Yes, please. So the first chapter of the stories is called My Little Brother. And I tell the story how about one of my very first Santa appearances, you know, little baptism by fire. I'm I'm asked to be Santa for the Children's Miracle Network that Christmas of 1999 at the Salt Palace Convention Center. And I got up there and I had I had struggled all week with what, 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 what's my routine? What do I do? And so I got up there and of course we sang, we danced and it was a stage show because Santa gives me instructions not to be a mall Santa. Now there's nothing wrong with a mall Santa to sit there and have kids take their picture with you and tell you what they want for Christmas. But he called me and he, and he said, level up. I want you to be a messenger that it's not about what children want for Christmas. It's what they're going to give for Christmas. So that's how I'm different. I don't I don't ask children what they're going to give what they want for Christmas because I always say, oh, I already got your letter at the North Pole. I know I know what you want. So when I'm here now, I'm going to focus on what are you going to give for Christmas? And when you give something for Christmas, it's not something you can buy at a store or deliver with Amazon Prime. It's it's something you have to make or something you that you give or some service that you give as a gift. So I got up there on stage and when I walked out on stage, I uh, talk about reality. I mean, here's several thousand people. And I have to tell you, Heidi, this is why this is so special, because we've all looked into the eyes of someone who loves us and that we love and the magic that is established with that that connection. But I, there is something so amazing when you've got six or seven thousand eyes looking at you and you're the guy. Now that's not anything of me because we talk about in the book, this is not about me, but this is about thee. This is God's mission. There's something so powerful when 
a child or an adult locks in to your gaze and there's so much hope, so much belief, so much magic. So I did my first show and I got up there and, and I challenged them all to be less selfish, be more elfish. They accepted the challenge. They cheered. Yes, we will be more elfish. And then I went backstage and waited for the crowd to leave. And I'm backstage and the, the pipe and drape is just open a little bit. And I can see out and there's a little girl, probably eight or nine years old and beautiful little girl. She's just smiling ear to ear and she just radiated love and light and goodness. And she's holding hands with, I assumed her little brother and he was four or so, and he was pale and no color and bald and tiny and thin. And I knew he was one of those beneficiaries of the children's miracle network. And, and as you know, those children that are there generally terminally ill or battling something life threatening. And that was obviously his case. And so I motioned for her to come backstage, come through the pipe and drape and come see me. Little girl comes over. She stands there and she just walks in to my eyes. And she just looked at me and she says, Santa, all I want for Christmas is for you to make my little brother better. Now, what do you say? What do you say? You can't make promises. So in that moment, I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. I wasn't going to make unrealistic promises or guarantees that I couldn't keep. And so I just gave them both a big hug, told them to take care of each other, that we loved them, that they were loved. And she turned and that was enough for her. And she turned and went through the curtains and was gone. And I remember at that moment, as I went back to my car, I thought, this is harder than I imagined this was going to be. It's one thing to be on stage and do it that way, but this personal interaction, this is going to kick, kick my keister. So that's the first of the stories. But then we go through other stories where uh, it's called the puzzle and and three children are adopted into a, a, a beautiful home. And then the miracle that we see there. And then there's the story about uh, me being called by Santa to go to an elementary school to deliver the news that his dad, who's a captain in the Air Force, was not coming home for Christmas. And that story. And then the story of visiting a family and they all have the same gifts. And when the gifts are open... They're all a music box playing the song, You Are My Sunshine, that the grandma had sung to them when they were little children, all of them. And she had passed away and they all got that special music box. And Anyway, there's nine amazing stories that I've written in such a way that you can read those to kids and grandkids uh, the first story I tell from the vantage point that, you know, I pull up in my car. But then after that, the stories are written as though it's in the first person narrative of Santa. So you can read those stories. And then next year, I'll have a children's version of it that's illustrated. And the stories will be even a little more simple with gorgeous illustrations. So this book is meant for you to read to others. But the chapters are my little brother 
Captain Murphy, the puzzle, you are my sunshine, the envelope. And I promise you, if you don't cry in chapter nine, you probably don't have a pulse. <laughs> then quiet giving, the proposal, he is Christmas. We end with a story where this is 100% factual of how that story goes once I enter the home. And it is the most powerful lesson that I've ever learned about Christmas taught to me by a little six or seven year old girl at two o'clock on Christmas Eve. Cause Lisa and I decided that since we were getting divorced, that the kids should have traditions. So it became standard then that she would always have them on Christmas Eve so they could have traditions. So Early in my Santa career, I all, well, even, even till the day they were 18 and could do their own thing, they were just always with Lisa on Christmas Eve. So I would actually do, and I remember one year I did 22 visits in 24 hours and I ended up at the road home and helped all the families get their Christmas. But so the story that happens in He Is Christmas actually happened at two o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning in a little house in Sandy. Uh, but that story changed my life because I was, I was contacted by a family and they said, look, we need, we want to do sub for Santa for this family, but we don't want them to know. Can you do the delivery? Well, they let me know like on the 23rd of December or whatever. And I'm thinking, Holy cow. Uh, the only way I could do it is to fit you into my visits that I do on Christmas Eve where people get to catch Santa in the act. And and then they video record it and help those kids that are on the bubble of whether or not they believe in Christmas uh, actually catch Santa in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. And so I said, look, I've got this delivery, but yeah, I've got to do it at two o'clock in the morning. And so <laughs> I met that family outside that house at two o'clock in the morning and I took all those gifts in and I don't want to spoil it uh, to tell you what happens in that story, but in and of itself, that story is what Christmas is, is all about, and it changed my life. Now, fast forward, been doing it for 24 years. I literally have hundreds of stories that are, that are miracles, and I was given the gift to see those miracles, to see people in a light through Santa's eyes. And that changed everything because, see, through Santa's eyes, and to me, Santa is, whether you call him a, a superhero, but he, a, Santa Claus has powers, right? This mystical, magical character that we've created. And so Santa doesn't judge. Santa just loves. And when you see the world through those eyes and you treat people like that and they treat you that way, what a magical place we live in. And so my life was forever changed, especially by these nine stories that I've included in this first edition of Through Santa's Eyes. But that's the essence of it. And then after the Santa stories, Megan on Christmas Day asked me, Daddy, is there, is there a Santa Claus? And that chapter's called, Yes, Megan, there is a Santa Claus. And I explained to Megan how there are more than just one Santa, that Santa can be moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and teachers and preachers and friends that we all can be Santa. And because I know you're a person of faith, in the back of my mind, I see 
that he is Christmas, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, is Christmas. So if you think about what we're talking about here, it's a theme of not being just more elfish. That's a nice way of saying be more Christ-like. So replace elfish with Christ-like. So we have bracelets and all kinds of things. And this is a message we're taking to the world to be more elfish. But really, you could substitute that in the bonus chapter that I don't put in the book that will be available online is basically when you see be more elfish, it's be more Christ-like. The world is going through tumultuous times. The world is on fire. Up is down, down is up. Right is wrong and wrong is right. We need this message more than ever before because love is the answer. The power of love can heal broken hearts, mend relationships, and save lives. And there's an opposing force that seeks to divide us, and it, it preys on our selfishness, creating a world full of dissonance and chaos. But I believe, Heidi, the simple be less selfish, be more elfish message can change the world. The true spirit of Christmas doesn't need to be something that we just trot out once a year, but it's an energy, it's a frequency that we can choose to, to be in resonance with every day of our lives. And I discover in the book what 528 means. And it is a frequency. But 528 is the frequency of love. And when we are in harmony with love, it is literally a frequency that can be measured. Through my Santa experiences and subsequent experiences, I, I had to learn what love was, where it came from, that I had to receive as well as give. And it's been an amazing evolution process. And we all literally vibrate at a frequency. And most people are down in the 200s where it's anger and hate and guilt and shame where enlightenment clear up in the in the 900s so where do we choose to live who do we associate with who do we vibrate with who are we in harmony with who are we in resonance with this is a movement to unite countries and communities and families around this central message of love and service that we need to get in in tune with love because most of the world is in harmony with hate and judgment. You don't have to think if you can judge, right? Most people don't think, so they do the easy thing and they just judge. But imagine the world we would live in if we all treated each other every day of the year like we do at Christmas. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. This is lots of lemonade going on here. That's for sure. Like this is um, so powerful of what you could have decided that uh, November of 1999. And that's what I love about it is because the easy thing was to just kind of be stuck and be sad and mad. And you, oh, it was rough, but I'll yeah, tell you, it was you chose uh, a different way. It was through love and service that I got through it. Right. Right. And that's really the only way you can. Like that's where you think outside yourself. And I love how you included your kids and, and now you're, you're making a difference in the world. It's just a beautiful thing. Amazing gift. Wow. Thank you. I, as I said before, this is not about me. This is about the, so the three specific times in my life when, when I believe I was given a call to do something, as I said, remarkably unique, it was never about me. Right. I, I, I actually don't want to do this. I don't want to get in my Santa suit and go around the world and promote this message. But 
it's not about me. As we've already said, this is divine and this movement is bigger than me. And so the end of the book, I have a dialogue with Santa as I'm putting everything back away. I'm, I'm hanging up the suit. I'm putting away the gear. And Santa and I have a dialogue. And he says, cause you can't put it away. You haven't fulfilled your calling. And I said, my calling? And he said, yes, your calling is to take the be less selfish, be more elfish message to every corner of the world. Shout it from every rooftop. And you will be known from here on out as Santa cause to the world. And I want you to share this message every day of the year that ends in why. Okay, that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for you not following along at home. <laughs> and I was like, what? And so the goal and my role in the, all of this. So when I go to Africa in March, when I go to Costa Rica in June, when I go to Europe in August, I can be Santa Claus anywhere on the planet, any day of the year, because this message is not just for Christmas, but this message of love and service is for every day of the year. And we don't just need to trot it out at Christmas time. Imagine the world we will live in if all of us can truly be less selfish and be more elfish and be motivated by love and service in all we do. Because hate is alive and well. Evil is alive and well. And it's going to take a few of us to stand up and make a difference. And in the end of the book, I have a letter to all Santas around the world, inviting them, don't put it away on Christmas Day. Continue to share this message every day of the year that it's okay to be Santa. He doesn't just need to go hide in the North Pole from the 26th of December until Thanksgiving. Get out there. Share this message. Nice. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. I am excited. I've already started reading the book. I can't wait to finish it. This is amazing with all these beautiful stories in it. And I'm just so grateful that you are willing to share. I'm grateful. I remember back to our first interview and grateful you're alive, if anything, and then grateful that you're using your voice to be able to teach this wonderful, powerful message of being less selfish and that we can all get in on this cause and help be more loving and more Christ-like. Thank you. It's a beautiful thing. You're welcome. And in my bonus chapter, I talk about how to the world, the message is be more elfish. But for us that have that faith in Jesus Christ, the message is there, be more Christ-like. So be more elfish is being more Christ-like. So right. I invite everyone to go through SantasEyes.com. Go to through SantasEyes.com. There's uh, an opportunity you can download a free uh, preview of the book. And then if it's something that resonates with you and seems to be in harmony with what you want to be having do in life, then order the book. And uh, it's 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 amazing, Heidi. We're getting orders and people aren't ordering one book. Right. People are ordering 10 books, 100 books, 500 books. They're giving them to their employees. They're giving them to their customers. And uh, we are going to make a difference. This is a movement. Love it. I'm happy to be a part of it myself. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you for being more elfish and having me on. Thank you. You always are a highlight of my day. So thank you so much. This is beautiful. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. 
You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. Is that you on the cover, that picture? Is that you? Actually, no, I had that done. And if you look really close to the eyes. Yeah, there's pictures in the eyes, but I was just wondering. Megan and Ben, the kids. Okay, that's what I figured. And so I thought it was your. But if you if you if you look into those eyes, that's Robin Williams. I did that on purpose. Oh, I love that. He's my hero. And okay, he's, he's part of my next book that comes out in March. Dude, this when is so dies, awesome. I come out and tell my story that I told on my previous podcast. Okay, so here we go. But nothing Whoa. is as elite and cool as being on Heidi's Lemonade Stand. Right? So you, of course. You understand I the, mean, lemonade, the lemon yeah. part. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.